Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium with your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skill, pump up your knowledge, and pump up your energy. Go to parentpumpradio.com, leave your questions, comments, and suggestions for future shows, and subscribe to our RSS feed so you'll be automatically notified of new shows. Our show is also brought to you by missionsradio.org and liveleadplay.com. We have a very important topic today. It's about underage drinking. If you didn't know this, about 43% of U.S. adults have been exposed to alcoholism in their family. Right now, alcohol is the most widely used substance abuse among American youth. And people aged 12 to 20 years old consume alcohol in the United States. More than 90% of the alcohol consumed is in the form of binge drinking. And on average, underage drinkers consume more drinks per drinking occasion than an adult drinker. That's a lot of people. Let me give you some more statistics. That's pretty astonishing when I looked it up. So teenagers who use alcohol and tobacco are at greater risk of using other drugs, and they're more likely to develop behavioral problems. And since the brain doesn't fully develop until about the age of 25, drinking is actually more harmful to the teenagers than adults, because drinking during these critical growth period can lead to lifelong damage in brain function, particularly as it relates to memory, motor skills, and coordination. And changes in brain development during this age may lead to lifelong effects. And a person who drinks heavily over a long period of time may have brain deficits that persist well after he or she achieves sobriety. We all feel the effects of the aggressive behavior, the property damage, the injuries, the violence, and deaths that can result from underage drinking. So this is not just a simple problem for some family. It affects us nationwide and is a concern. And our guest today is a prevention coordinator for behavioral health services, where she oversees the alcohol and drug prevention program in the Los Angeles County Beach cities of Redondo Beach, Hermosa Beach, and Manhattan Beach. She provides strategic direction and leadership to staff and local prevention community council members to implement prevention education program in advance environmental policy objectives such as social host liability ordinances. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Rhonda Frank. Hi, Rhonda. Hi, how are you today? I'm really good. I know you have a lot of degrees and certificates in the field of prevention, substance prevention. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the certificates and degrees that you have achieved? Sure. I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from UCLA. Then I went to law school in Northern California at Hastings College of the Law, so I have a law degree. And after that, um, I received a certificate for alcohol and drug counseling. So I'm certified with the state of California as a counselor. And recently I received a state certification as a prevention specialist. So what do you do as a prevention specialist? You mentioned that the HS is a nonprofit organization and we do residential drug treatment 
and outpatient treatment programs as part of our services, but then we also have a prevention department. And I oversee a team in our prevention department, and we provide education workshops. We do policy work in the beach cities in Southern California and provide um, facts for parents to help them protect their children from underage alcohol and drug use. You and I have known each other for a while. I also am on the Prevention Community Council where you lead. And I always wonder, you are so busy and you're so passionate about helping the substance abuse on the under, you know, for children and teens. What do you do in your free time? Do you have free time? Wow. <laughs> Great question. And we have known each other for a while, so you know I don't have much free time. No. But I um this might surprise you, but I like roller skating. Uh-huh. Whenever I can, I go to the beach and that's how I kind of unwind and listen to music. And I still use an iPod, which is not like most people who are using other smartphones. Yeah. And I love to read. I'm in two or three book clubs and I do Zumba whenever I can. How fun. Okay, maybe one of the meetings you'll have to help us do some Zumba for a quick two minute just to get our energy going. Absolutely. No problem. (laughs) I mean, this is a field that's, it's not fun. You you don't hear things that's good that's happening. It's, It's kind of sad. We're talking about substance abuse. So how did you get into this field and why is, are you such an advocate for it? Well, I started working as an attorney with a Los Angeles County Public Defender's Office. I did that for about 10 years. And at that time, we didn't receive much training. We didn't have many resources to deal with our clients that were dealing with um, substance abuse addiction. And so there were a lot of young men and women who I saw come through the courts that had been arrested, convicted, and then put on probation with the court for being under the influence or in possession of small amounts of drugs or for alcohol use. And it became painfully clear to me that these were people that were struggling with addiction and they needed help, not incarceration. So it was very frustrating to see that. And over the years, I saw the same people coming through the revolving door of the criminal justice system. And at the same time, I was dealing with negative consequences of generations of alcoholism and drug use within my own family. And so I personally saw how alcohol and drug use just by even one member of the family could have a negative long-term effect on every member of the family. So this made me just want to really do something to make a difference. I wanted to help families. So I went back to school, and as I stated earlier, I became certified as a counselor, and then got the opportunity to do some prevention work And like most people, I didn't really understand what prevention was initially. And then I realized that instead of us spending resources and starting the conversation when someone has an addiction and they go into treatment, why not prevent family members from using alcohol and drugs? And so that's really why I'm so passionate about working in this field. And I think we are making a difference and it. It's going to take time, but I do think that we're making some good changes in our community. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, we're about prevention and the family is where it starts, right? Not just the individual. And if listeners, if you don't know this, the statistic shows that about 43% of adults in the United States, that's about 76 million people, 
have had a parent, a child, or a sibling, or a spouse who is or was an alcoholic. And so, Rhonda, what does that statistic say to you? What does it mean for us? It says that we need to change the, the social norm. And what we're seeing is that it's an environmental, it's a cultural problem. And really, it starts with parents and what their experience has been with alcohol and drugs and the conversations and the behavior that we model for, for our kids. That's really what's most important now. Yeah, because, you know, they say it's genetic, but I think it's a, it's part, it's both genetic and environmental because it shows that the risk of becoming, someone becoming a future alcoholic is much greater if they were children of alcoholic homes. Exactly. So in order to break the cycle, it, it starts with the parents being much more aware with what they're doing if they came, I would think, from an alcoholic home. So they don't continue with that same cycle, right? That's correct. And so that's why it definitely starts with parents. And one of the things that we do is we hold parent workshops and we try to educate parents. And what you mentioned earlier was so crucial about the um, interruption of adolescent brain development um, when a young person starts using drugs at an, at an early age and that the age of drinking onset really can predict future alcohol abuse, dependency, and even addiction. And a statistic that we tell parents initially is that when you have a young person that starts drinking before the age of 14, statistics show that there are 47% uh, percent of that group become alcoholics at some point in their lives. And that's from a, a Boston University study. And so there's a scientific you know, basis to show that the earlier a young person starts using, there is an increased risk for addiction. And when you say using, are we talking about the binge drinking or just the occasional drinks? We're, we're talking about regular use. You okay. know, uh, binge drinking a lot of times may occur on weekends, and that has other dangers that, yeah. that we've seen. There's been alcohol poisonings, and uh, it can open the door to other drug use yeah. uh, during those binge drinking episodes. But really what we're talking about is the regular use of, of alcohol. Yeah. They say that doctors, scientists say that the adult brain doesn't even develop fully until the age of 25. So exactly. you have to think what's happening. You're interrupting a developing brain with alcohol, drug use. And if you're coming from a family that with parents that uses that, then we're talking about aggressive behavior, all of the behavioral problem that comes out with it. So then the children are now dealing with emotional issues, right, which then I can see why they're more likely to drink just so that they can numb that emotional pain when they get to high school. Yes, and alcohol is definitely um, a depressant. So there's suicide as an unintended consequence and just other behavioral issues as, you, as you've mentioned. Yeah, so then we're talking about other mental disorder that comes along with this issue. Yes, and a lot of times there are some type of mental disorders or genetic disposition in the family, and alcohol is only going to increase the the potential for you know mental disorders. Yeah, you being in this field, what do you think the challenges or the the major issues that that is happening? I think the biggest challenge we face is, as we said earlier, the social norm. You have mean well, but they believe that underage drinking at house parties can be safe, 
and many parents actually agree to host drinking parties for their children and their friends. Yeah, because they say they'd rather have it under their house. At least they can supervise the kids, right? And they believe that if they take the car keys or if they call Uber, then it's okay. It's not a big deal to allow kids to drink. And we're finding that that type of behavior or attitude is, is causing more harm and that kids are really not safe. You have binge drinking that occurs at these gatherings. Kids a lot of times are mixing alcohol with prescription drugs, marijuana, and other illegal drugs. So we're talking about not only long-term detrimental effect uh, to these kids as an adult, but we're also talking about the harmful effect right now, which you have these parties, there's a lot more chance of molestation and rape going on with these teens because they're under the influence. And like you said, there could be death overdose because they're mixing alcohol with prescription drugs, right? That's correct. And we even have national statistics to show where kids are getting their alcohol. And one out of three kids say that it's very easy to get alcohol from their parents. Two out of five say it's very easy to get it from a friend's parent. And then one out of four is saying that they get alcohol at parties. Yep. So we're finding that this is a major challenge for us in dealing with easy access to alcohol. Yeah. I was interviewing a Miracosta high school student. She's now in college, but she was saying that there's actually an app on, not an app, a uh, Snapchat channel, or however, I don't know what you call it, but the, they can all log in to the Snapchat chat room and they can find all the parties in the area. Yeah, that's correct. And law enforcement tries to monitor these apps and social media. And what they're finding is that it the, the young people are getting better and better at finding new apps each day. Yeah. So that law enforcement seems to always be a step behind them. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, they live in the world of technology, and we're just stepping into it. So I could see why it's hard, and they want to do this. It's it's hard to prevent it. So I think, like you said, education is the best thing if they know what the result could be. And also, as parents, we need to model what we want our kids to be. If we don't want them to have these behavior we need to model. We need to either eliminate drinking or reduce it or talk to them about what alcohol is and do what you say, right? Yes, we truly believe that prevention starts with parents. Parents are powerful. And I believe most parents would be surprised to know that kids really do care what their parents think. And if we start having those conversations as early as middle school, We can start to talk to our kids, help them develop refusal skills when they feel that peer pressure to accept drugs or to experiment with alcohol. A lot of times they may think back to that conversation they had with their parents, and that can really be helpful. And then earlier you mentioned modeling. When parents get home and they've had a hard day, they don't want to sit down and smoke weed or or get a drink as their way of unwinding because their kids are watching that behavior. Yep. Uh, Especially if you're using alcohol, if you're saying, oh, I need, I'm so stressed out, I need this, or it tastes good. What are you telling your children? Yeah, we're finding more and more that some parents are just feeling that, well, I don't know how to start that conversation. Or what do I say? What, What if my daughter asked me, have I ever used alcohol or drugs when I was an age? What do I say? And so what we recommend is that 
you tell your child the truth, you make it age appropriate, but you also include information about the negative impacts that it may have had on you or a friend to really have a discussion with them and to not judge your children, but to have that honest conversation. And again, you want it to be age appropriate. Yeah. And I agree with you because just because you did it doesn't mean that they should do it because there were a time where we didn't think smoking was bad. We didn't think alcohol was bad. And so people did it not realizing, but with technology, with research, we're finding out many new things. And I think as a parent, it's okay to be honest and say, hey, I did drink as a teenager. I did smoke. However, I didn't know any better. We weren't taught the results or the repercussion of it. Now that I do, I would, I would make different choices. And because we do know different the, the results of it, I want you to make different choices because I want you to be better than me. Exactly. Another question a parent can ask is, um, why is it that you feel that you may want to experiment or try alcohol or drugs? What's going on in your life that would make you want to do that? That's a good question. It's a great question. Because like you said, it could be peer pressure or maybe they're feeling like they need to numb some kind of feelings, then that needs to be dealt further. And what, what we're finding in our work with families is that when we talk to kids about why they experiment with, with the drugs, the responses are normally peer pressure, they're bored, they feel stressed out with the demands of school, trying to get A's, taking those AP courses, trying to get in college. They want to fit in. And sometimes they just think it's fun and they want to experiment. So mm. those are the reasons we give for using. That sounds like all of it right there. Yeah, and, and I think how we can help as a community is to get our youth involved in sports and alternate programs, programs that are drug-free. And there are many community programs there. And that's why I love the work that we're doing with our community coalition because we work with community organizations and health professionals that are providing programs where kids can have fun in drug-free activities. Yeah, so let's talk about some of these programs that you're implementing to reduce underage drinking. Sure. One thing that we're really um, happy about is the awareness that a lot of parents and educators now have in terms of legislation and how policy change can have an impact on the social norm that drinking is okay. And what we do is we talk to city council members, community leaders, and PTAs and parents about social host ordinances. And what that is is an ordinance that local cities can pass to impose a civil penalty, so this is only civil liability, on adults that allow young people to drink. So any adult that allows a young person to have alcohol at a house party can now be held liable civilly um, by the cities that have this ordinance. And so we've worked hard. Uh, that ordinance has been passed in cities like Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach. Uh, cities in the Palos Verdes Peninsula are now um, considering passage of those types of ordinances. And so we believe that if cities pass these ordinances, it sends a message to parents that allowing underage kids to drink is not okay and that the community is going to hold parents responsible. Yeah, and I know that there are certain counties in Los Angeles that have passed this ordinance and have shown research statistic that it's very effective. 
Yes. As a matter of fact, um, Ventura County has been a model for the passage of these ordinances. Ventura has 10 communities, and every single community in Ventura County has passed one of these social host ordinances. And as a result, years later, they're able to show that they have fewer parties, the parties are smaller in size, and that parents now are having communications with other parents when there is a party. Parents are calling law enforcement because now they know that Law enforcement has a tool to go to the home where a party is taking place, even if it's a small gathering, and they, instead of trying to cite every young person that has a beer or some alcohol, they are able to say, who's in charge here? Who is allowing underage youth to have access to alcohol? And so it's having a deterrent effect, and parents know now that if they host such parties, they could have to pay a large fine. And it helps parents tell their kids, no, you're not going to have a party at our home because I can have liability. And then it also helps the young people because they're telling their friends, my mom's not going to let us have a party because she doesn't want to have the social host ordinance imposed. So these are the stories that we're hearing back in communities where they have these ordinances. I think it's the great ordinance because it puts responsibility really on everyone. Like you were saying, the parents have to now educate the children as to why they can't have one. So then that way the children can understand, the teenagers can understand why it's impactful. So then everybody understands. Yes. And and a lot of times these ordinances are an intervention because the city prosecutors can now talk to the families about what's going on. And many times they will allow a family to go to counseling. They might find that there's a a problem in the home with, with regard to alcohol and they can address those specific problems without even imposing the fine. So it's really a way to get the attention of parents in the community and to talk about this very difficult conversation. Yeah. Just to detour a little bit, I know that some of your prevention work also involves marijuana because we're talking about drug. A lot of times it's combined with alcohol. What is important to know about underage marijuana use? A lot of parents think, what's the big deal? It's just pot. And statistics show that 73% of children who report their parents use marijuana have used it also. So there you can see that correlation between parent use, you know, leading to youth also thinking it's okay. And since it's been legalized in states like California, youth have a perception that it's not harmful because it's legal. And so that's creating a bigger challenge for us in the prevention field to talk about the negative impact of marijuana and the easy access. It's very easy for a young person to get a medical marijuana card. And with legalization now, there are going to be more dispensaries in communities, which means more access for young people to get marijuana. And now the science shows that marijuana can be addictive in part because of the high levels of THC. So this is not the marijuana that was smoked in the 60s or the 70s. The THC levels have increased from 4% to an average of 30%. Yeah, and I think that's very important for parents to realize that the marijuana today is not the same marijuana. I mean, sometimes I say we should just rename it a different drugs because a lot of parents go, oh, I smoked it back then, it's no big deal. No, it's a huge difference. You're right. Maybe that's the way around it is to just change the name so that people know this is not the same thing as we heard about in the 60s or 70s, quite different. And young people each day 
are finding more ways to use a concentrated THC in dabbing and waxing, and uh, it's becoming very dangerous. We've had many youth sent to the hospital because of the, the effects of mixing alcohol with marijuana. They don't know what's in the marijuana strains many times. The edibles are very dangerous. And so it's, it's a big problem. And again, you have the issues with long-term effects. Uh, we've seen studies from Los Angeles County that there can be a propensity for people with mental illness in the family so that users of alcohol at a young age could develop schizophrenia. We've seen those types of psychosis. IQ points could decrease over time with regular use, lung disease, seizures. So there are many many consequences to the use of marijuana by young people. So Rhonda, what can the listeners do to get involved and help reduce underage drinking and drug use? Well, I think one of the most important things is for parents to talk to their children about the negative impacts of alcohol and drug use and to definitely brainstorm even about how you can refuse alcohol and drugs that are offered to them. And I think that can start as early as middle school. And again, we want it to be age appropriate, but I think those conversations are key. And there are a lot of resources out there that can guide parents in having that conversation. So that's one thing. Another thing parents can do is to pay attention to the local elections and legislation that could also impact alcohol and drug use in their communities. Recently, there was an alcohol law enacted in the state of California, for example, that allows barbershops and beauty salons to serve alcohol without having to get an alcohol license from the Alcohol and Beverage Control Department. And so that's very concerning that a young person getting a haircut could be offered alcohol. And so those are the types of things that we as a community can pay attention to and maybe oppose with letters and phone calls to our legislators, you know, voting and legislation that could have an impact. Yeah, that sounds great. And I know in our school district, right, we have something called Red Ribbon Week. I don't know if this is nationwide or even worldwide, but these kids are spending a week in Red Ribbon Week learning about alcohol. So if you think that they don't know about alcohol and drinking, you're wrong. If anything, I would suggest complementing the Red Ribbon Week with talking about at the dinner table. That's a great suggestion. And Red Ribbon Week is a national observance of alcohol prevention. And I think that it's important for parents to stay involved with the school. And those conversations that parents have will complement what teachers and community members are already trying to do in the community. And we can all work together. And I think with programs like Red Ribbon Week, that's a great time to have that conversation with young people about alcohol and to really support what they're doing in the schools. And that's just one week, but this could be something that parents do on a regular basis. Absolutely. And I also, I've seen a, an impact lately in our cities with the school PTA really starting to be vocal about what's happening in the schools because these school counselors and parents who are in the PTA and the principals are having to deal directly with the parties that occur on the weekend. They're seeing kids absent from school, kids being admitted to the hospital, and they're getting those phone calls on Monday about the sexual assaults and the hospitalizations from the parties the previous weekend. And they're to the point now where they're speaking out. And that's why we're getting a lot of support for our program 
for the workshops to educate parents and for the social health ordinances. I really believe that it's all a community effort too. Like you were saying, the PTA is getting involved and we create a norm that drinking underage is not accepted and that will be the new norm. I mean, I remember when I was younger, drinking and driving was kind of funny because I remember my uncle would come to our house and he'd be drunk when he leaves and the adults would just laugh as he's driving away swerving. And now if you see someone drinking and driving, it's almost like a shudder, like, oh my God, you got to do something. So in the short amount of time, I know organizations like MAD and you guys and, and other organizations have made it where drinking and driving is not safe anymore and that you don't do it and that's a taboo or bad thing. So I feel like this is something we need to create is underage drinking is bad. It's taboo. And who does that? Like that kind of feeling like, are you kidding? Like we all need to stop that. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That That is a great point. And if you think about what happened with the, the tobacco industry, it's the same yep. analogy. Yep. At one point, kids thought it was cool to smoke. And then it took 50 years, but the tobacco industry finally had to admit um, how dangerous tobacco is. And so now smoking is not the cool, fun thing to do. And so we need to have that same education when it comes to alcohol. Yeah. I know you have a lot of, you have upcoming events and I would love for you to announce it. Okay. I have one event that I wanted to really highlight and that is our prescription drug take back. And this will be a national event, which means that on April 29th, 2017, which is a Saturday from 10 to 2 PM cities and every community will have their law enforcement there to accept expired or unused prescription drugs. In most cases, that will be at the police station in most communities. So here in our area, they will be at Torrance, Redondo Beach, Manhattan Beach, and Hermosa, as well as other cities. And so one thing that our community coalition will do is to help promote this event so that health professionals and educators and parents will know that there's a safe place for them to get rid of prescription drugs. Yeah, and don't flush it. Yeah, we don't want to flush it down our toilet. Right. We want to do it in a safe way. Yes. Is there a website for, for people to go to where they can check where the nearest drug take back is? Yes. We actually have a Facebook page. So if you go to facebook.com, VHS Prevention, we will um, promote all of our community events on that page. We invite people who are in our these cities area to come to our coalition meetings. It's free and open to all. And then uh, we have other prevention providers that post events on that Facebook page. Okay, so the Facebook page will is in the show notes. And can they also call their local police station to find out? Yeah, the listeners can call any police station and find out where the drop-off is on April 29th. Okay, perfect. So we're just wrapping up the show, but before we leave, I wanted to know if you have a favorite quote. Actually, I do. I love Ralph Waldo Emerson, so I have two quotes. I have one for kids and one for parents. So the one for kids that I really like and use a lot is insist on yourself, never imitate. Insist on yourself, never, never imitate. And I think that's great because so many times kids are really searching for, you know, who they're going to be, what their interest is, and they should be true to themselves. And the one I have for parents is what you do speaks so loudly that I cannot hear what you say. Yeah, I love that one too. 
Yeah, <laughs> one of my faves. So it says so well with do what you say and say what you do, right? <laughs> That's right, because they're, they're watching. They're watching. They're watching. Yeah, and they're listening, too. Thank you so much, Rhonda. I really appreciate all these great information, and we will definitely have you back for many other subjects that I'm sure you are an expert at. Well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Good. So until next time, listener, always be learning, always be growing. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. And while you're at our website, sign up to receive a free gift. Until next time, have a wonderful week.